Welcome to the Foresight Health Roundup podcast, Foresight Health's podcast series for healthcare revolutionaries. Outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Hello again, everyone. This is Dave Berta, news editor at Foresight Health. It is Thursday, January 26th. On today's episode of the Roundup, we're going to pick up where we left off last week and talk about artificial intelligence in healthcare. Specifically, we're going to talk about a new working paper from the National Bureau of Economic Research on AI and healthcare spending and the healthcare applications of ChatGPT, an AI-powered chatbot that's turned some heads over the past few weeks. To tell us when we'll be replaced by machines are Dave Johnson, founder and CEO of Foresight Health, and Julie Merchantson, partner at Transformation Capital. But before we say hello to Dave and Julie, I wanted to say hello to the sponsor of the Foresight Health Roundup podcast, Infor. By connecting the business and mission sides of healthcare, institutions can enhance staff experience and simplify patient interactions. With data-driven insights and greater operational control, our sponsor, Infor, supports your company in making healthcare a calling again for your staff. Hi, Dave. Hi, Julie. How are you guys doing this morning, Dave? Well, Terry and I are just back from a long visit to New York City. It was her first time back since 2019, before the pandemic. We had a blast seeing old friends and family, going to the theater, going to the ballet, visiting our old neighborhood. Uh, The owner of our favorite Greek diner remembered us, or at least remembered Terry. He said, Caesar salad with chicken. That's how we remembered her. And even though we haven't lived there in over 30 years. A couple observations. I'm not sure how anyone affords to live there. The cost of living is like Crazy Eddie used to say, insane. And then secondly, and Julie, you'll love this, New York City is the new Seattle. No snow, no sunshine, lots of rain. The cover of the latest New Yorker was just all gray. So like we talked about last week, they're breaking out the satellite therapy big time in the Big Apple. (laughs) Good to have you back, Dave. Thanks. Uh, Julie, how are you? That's quite a report. Gosh, I wish I'd had so much fun recently. I have been a little bit more focused on what's been happening in California. And I read yesterday that we've had more mass shootings this year than days in January. So (laughs) happy new year. I just can't even believe, you know, two in one state, totally different profile of a gunman than so many other high profile shootings. It's just too much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know where you go with that. Uh, Yeah. Thanks, Julie. Now, before we talk about AI and chatbots, let's talk about evil computers. Dave, what's your favorite or scariest evil computer from the movies, TV or books? My favorite computer is the Android Data from Star Trek Next Generation. Data is smart, incisive, self-learning, sensitive, and sometimes even compassionate. Uh, data comes the closest to depicting the real potential of human-machine collaboration. I'll have to check that out. Thanks, Dave. Uh, Julie, how about you? What evil or nice computer gives you uh, second thoughts one way or the other? Well, I don't know if you guys saw the movie Her a couple years ago. Oh, yeah. Where the AI, who was named Samantha, who was played by Scarlett Johansson brilliantly, you know, got the guy to fall in love with her. And I mean, it was just freaky. (laughs) Was it H period, E period, R period? Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. I know what you're talking about. That is scary. For me, it's the Hell 9000 from 2001, A Space Odyssey. You know, when Hell says, I'm sorry, Dave, I'm afraid I can't do that. It really gives me the creeps. 
Nothing scarier than a computer that's being very polite as it's trying to kill you. And there's your segue into today's topic. Are computers trying to kill off doctors and healthcare workers? Just kidding. Maybe. This new paper from the National Bureau of Economic Research says AI could reduce healthcare spending by $200 billion to $360 billion a year in the next five years. Now, three researchers from McKinsey and David Cutler, the well-known Harvard economist, wrote the paper. Most of the savings would come from three industry sectors. Number one, hospitals, with the highest potential there being in clinical analytics. Number two, physician groups, with the highest potential there being in clinical operations. And three, private health insurers, with the highest potential there in managing care providers and claims. Dave, you're a big human-machine collaboration guy. Uh, what do you think of the report? Uh, what do you think of AI's potential to cut healthcare spending? And how do you see all this affecting healthcare consumers? Rather than think too hard about answering this question, Dave, I did what all the college kids are doing. I asked Chat GPT to do it for me. Specifically, I asked it to describe in three paragraphs how Chat GPT would disrupt healthcare and how much money it would save. Here's the response. It is difficult to predict exactly how much money chat GPT will save the U.S. healthcare system in the next five years, as it will likely depend on the specific applications and use cases that it is implemented for. However, it is likely that chat GPT could have a significant impact on healthcare system by streamlining processes and improving efficiency. One potential application of chat GPT in healthcare is automating administrative tasks such as scheduling appointments and filling out medical forms. By using natural language processing, ChatGPT could understand and respond to patient inquiries, reducing the need for human staff to handle all these tasks. This could lead to cost savings for healthcare providers by reducing labor costs. Another potential application of ChatGPT in healthcare is in triage and diagnosis. By using machine learning and natural language processing, ChatGPT could assist healthcare professionals in quickly and accurately identifying potential health concerns. This could lead to cost savings by reducing the need for unnecessary tests and procedures and by allowing patients to receive prompt and effective treatment. Overall, the implementation of ChatGPT in the healthcare system has the potential to greatly improve efficiency and reduce costs. Not bad. But, you know, since it dodged my question on cost savings, I then asked for a ballpark figure. Here's how ChatGPT responded. It is difficult to provide a specific savings figure for the potential use of ChatGPT in the healthcare system as it will depend on the specific implementation and use cases. The savings will also depend on the size and structure of the healthcare organization, the current processes in place, and how well ChatGPT is integrated into the organization. Additionally, the savings from the use of ChatGPT will also depend on the cost of implementation and the maintenance of the technology. However, it is worth noting that according to a recent study by Accenture, the potential savings for the U.S. healthcare industry from the use of AI technologies, including natural language processing, could reach up to $150 billion per year by 2026. That exercise, I'm back to my real voice now, or real, real, real <laughs> is self Is this the now. real Dave or the <laughs> yeah, AI this is Dave, not, right? This is not the chat GPT. Okay. That exercise took less than two minutes. I mean, amazing. 
I wonder how long it took the NBR team to write their paper. I like the NBR paper. Their analytic approach is logical. Their conclusions are reasonable. However, their task, while necessary, is impossible. If the Flintstone Research Institute had existed back in caveman and cavewoman days, an equivalent project would have been to predict the impact on civilization of the discovery of fire or the use of the wheel. The real answer is that we have no idea what the impact of chat GPT and equivalent technologies will be on healthcare and overall society. What I can say with confidence is that it'll be far larger and greater than any predictions being made today, no matter the source. There are two kinds of intelligence, human and machine. And when historians look back on the 2020s, they will cite the development and application of human-machine collaboration as this decade's defining accomplishment. Wow. So I guess the takeaway for me there is instead of saying, hi, Dave, and hi, Julie, I would say, hi, Chat GPT, hi, Julie. (laughs) (laughs) Drop the mic. There you go. Wow. Told you I had a surprise for you. That's good, Dave. (laughs) Julie, I don't know. Do you have any questions for Dave? (laughs) I mean, I think we could just wrap this up right now. I don't even know why we keep talking. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Dave. So I was reading an article in Stat about medical schools, which we all know may not be teaching the latest in technology. So it's kind of ironic that medical schools are in this situation because they're about to get eclipsed. Doctors might get eclipsed by all this, right? So what do you think medical schools, like what's the one thing they could do to really catch up and make sure that physicians are prepared to use technologies like this properly because, you know, they could put patients and care at risk if they don't. First and foremost, uh, I think they got to get out of the 1920s, which is when the current medical school curriculum came into being, you know, two years of science, two years of rotation, graduation, and then into a residency and start to pick people that know how to use machines, train them to use the machines, but are very adept at compassion, communication, really the softer skills that grease our world and make it a better place to live. I think you almost need to blow up the curriculum and start all over again, like many medical schools are doing, like the new Kaiser Medical School, and stop forcing people to memorize a bunch of stuff they can look up and start teaching them to have virtual assistants that are going to be really, really, really good. That's where I'd start. Thanks, Dave. That's great. Julie, what's your take on the release of ChatGPT? How do you think it will impact digital health and market innovation? And how ultimately do you think it will affect healthcare consumers? Well, outside of the amazing papers that high schoolers are writing and the exams it's passing, my husband did take the opportunity to tell me that it has exceeded what Wharton students can do in its classes. You know, I don't think your average person really understands what chat GPT is. I mean, like, as well as the teenagers, of course. They call it a large language model, but effectively, it just picks up on signals and cues and words that can generate responses in plain language, which is what people love about it. So if you think about the lack of plain language in healthcare, I really cued in on this very simple thing as a way that we can see chat GPT ultimately affecting consumers and improving communication between physicians and consumers. 
The issue I see is that ChatGPT draws information from large, and I mean large data sets. So I've seen some people talk about this as a predictive tool. And to be honest with you, I don't think it can really be predictive if there's not something based in history that it can actually draw on to make predictions. So you have to think about it as drawing on some information. It's not like a miracle. So for years, healthcare hasn't had large enough data sets to even consider a technology like this viable. But with almost two decades, let's just go back in history. We're, you know, 2004, ONC was created. We're almost at 20 years. So almost two decades of digitization. We're really getting there. And the question is whether the data sets are large enough, and we all know this problem, diverse enough and with varied enough information to really train a chat GPT sufficiently to be right 100% of the time. Because after all, do any of us want a clinical error due to the bias training of the bot that helps our physician make a decision? I don't think so. Looking at a couple applications, it can read data fast, like much faster than a doctor. So if you thought about the volume of charts that come through for some of these specialty visits and certainly some of these rare diseases, you know, it could be a great assistant to a physician and a care team to speed decisions in really advantageous ways for providers, consumers, and everybody involved. ChatGPT can marry, you know, the symptoms that a consumer might enter into a form that might include genetic code, environmental facts, other clinical information with a database full of similar data points and propose conclusions about what the diagnosis might be or the state of health. So amazing potential to really drive personalization. ChatGPT can also more effectively match patients to physicians in situations like that. You could look at the individual's data against the physician's publications and, you know, clinical experiences, you know, you name it from the physician data side and really match the right patient and the right physician for whatever that patient might need. So there are endless opportunities to think about how it helps with what we've been calling decision support. And, you know, Watson painted this vision 15 years ago. So I'll end where I started, which is on this plain language issue. Consumers can absorb plain language without doctors or with less of a doctor. So I think chat GPT spells potential for huge self-care efficiencies in ways that we've been talking about for a long time, but could actually really be done much more efficiently with a technology like this. And I was in a meeting earlier this week where Toby Cosgrove was on the board and Toby Cosgrove was talking about this and thinking about applications for this. So, you know, you have big brains who've been on, I don't want to call it the dark side, Toby, but on the big box healthcare for a long time thinking about this. And I think it's pretty amazing to see this kind of concept we've talked about for a long time be real because of something that's so societally present now. Right. Yeah. It really has grabbed everyone's attention. Uh, Fascinating. Thanks, Julie. Uh, Dave, any questions for Julie? So here's my question. If you could ask chat GPT anything, what would it be and why? (laughs) This is a great question. So I raised that predictive comment, Dave, because I've thought about this. Like, could chat GPT write a thesis on solving world peace? I'm sure it's already been asked, right? And when you look at historical trends around war and peace, like, yes, it absolutely could predict ways that that could happen. So it's not that it's not predictive, right? It's just that it's 
all going to be based on historical context. Yes. Would I like to ask it to solve world peace or to figure out the fastest way to solve our environmental issues? Absolutely. I might ask it something a little bit more, I don't know, fun. Like write me the next hit song. (laughs) 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 I think I might go down that road. That's great. Yeah. I was thinking like if you ask it when your favorite football team would win the Super Bowl next and your team has never won it, the answer would be never. That's right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Minnesota Vikings and Buffalo Bills. Right. I mean, well, I just got a text from chat GPT that tells me we just have a minute left. (laughs) So why don't we just uh, use that time to talk about other big news this past week? Julie, what else happened uh, that we should know about? Well, I'm sure everybody saw this, but Elevance put a bid and is planning to buy Blue Cross Wish Louisiana. And we've been waiting for the blues to start going through this M&A activity. So congratulations to Gail and Steve and all involved and hope the regulators let it happen. And thanks, Julia. Dave, any other news that's uh, worth mentioning? Well, that's a good one because Blue Cross Blue Shield of Louisiana is a strong plan and didn't need to sell. So they're ahead of trend. I'll give you three noteworthy events quickly. They're all big. First, the lawsuits against the states that are trying to ban the abortion pill. Second, the emergence of Frankenstein opiates that are 40 times more powerful than fentanyl. And third, a record number of Americans, over 60 million, have signed up for Obamacare through the exchanges. Lots to say about each of these topics, but not now. I think we'll uh, pick up on that ACA one soon. That's a great idea. Thanks, Dave. And thanks, Julie. And thanks again to our sponsor, Infor. Infor connects the business and mission sides of healthcare, enhancing the staff experience and simplifying patient interactions with data-driven insights and greater operational control. That is all the time we have for today. If you'd like to learn more about the topics we discussed on today's show, please visit our website at foresighthealth.com. And don't forget to tell a friend about the Foresight Health Roundup podcast. Subscribe now and don't miss another segment of the best 20 minutes in healthcare. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Berta for Foresight Health.